Amen. Good morning, everyone. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word today. Today, from the Gospel of Matthew, we're beginning a new series on what it means to be the church. So starting off with the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. This is God's Word to us this morning. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you... Sounded like I went through puberty again. My goodness. How's everybody doing? Uh. All right, are we good? I think we're good. All right, I'm I'm going to start over. Yeah, all right, here we go. Once again, God's word to us in the right volume and tone that God intended Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Father God, may you bless the reading of your word today with the work of your spirit to bring hearing, to bring understanding, Lord, to not only to, not only to, to bring faith or increase our faith, but to, Lord, draw us closer to you, to deepen our understanding of who you are and who we are in you, and Lord, the work that you have for us to do in this world. Lord, I ask for those who are gathered here in these moments in this place for your spirit to work in a way to bring your word to bear on the lives of every person in this room and those watching online now or at a later date. Lord, I pray for your spirit to to take your words and implant them deeply into our hearts to grow, to teach, to instruct, to convict of sin, to comfort in our times of fear, uncertainty, or discouragement. Lord, but also to compel us to deeper faith, greater righteousness, deeper devotion to you, Lord God. As always, Lord God, I ask for my words not to get in the way of your word, but for you to work, to speak, to bring glory to yourself as Jesus is lifted up. And it's in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, our Lord, that we pray, O Father God. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
First off, I want to say a very special welcome to those who are joining with us online today. We have our live stream back up and working, so we're glad that you're a part of the Oak Park family today uh, or even at a later date. Remember, you can participate in today's service in real time by texting in comments, questions, prayer praises, or prayer requests to 805-481-7092. That number will be on the the lower part of the screen uh, as you watch today. And if you're watching the recorded version, you can still text in. We can't guarantee we'll get to you right away, but we'll get to you very soon. And if you're a first-time texter enter, we would love to have your name attached with the number so we know how to pray for you and how to better follow up and help you grow spiritually. Well, it is good to be back with you. Uh, for those of you who were here last week or are a part of the Oak Park family, uh, you know I was gone last week. We had a week away. We were visiting our older son in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and It was great to get back to the Central Coast and increase the temperature by about 10 degrees. Um, Colorado was very cold. Uh, It didn't break 50 until our last day there. Uh, Actually snowed on Saturday morning. We woke up to 27 degree weather and three inches of snow. That's the kind of weather I grew up in. I don't miss it. We moved to the Central Coast of California to not have that, and we've been stuck with June gloom since March. Oh, well. But we are, we are happy to be back. We had a great time visiting Colorado. I wanted to say once again a thank you to everybody on the Oak Park staff and our volunteers and everyone who held down the fort last week. Uh, special guest uh, speaker, uh, Troy Gardner, um, did a great job. Really appreciated his message. Uh, we'll be having Troy back again one of these days. He's a representative with uh, Samaritan's Purse and a longtime friend as well. And uh, so thanks to everybody who held down the fort, and let's get into our new series and our subject matter for today from God's Word. What does it mean to be the church? One thing about living in the five cities is we have an amazing number of great churches in town, all over. We're very blessed in this area. The kingdom of God is alive and thriving and growing and influencing, doing all the wonderful things here in the five cities, and we get to be a part of that going to Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs is actually one of the epicenters of of ministries associated with more biblical or evangelical Christianity. Uh, There's dozens of ministries that have their, their national and international headquarters there in Colorado Springs. There are churches, there are church buildings everywhere in Colorado Springs. We worshiped at a church last weekend. I don't even know how many thousands of people go to this congregation. We were at one of the branch campuses, uh, and this was, this is one of their baby churches. It was like a baby Huey. For those of you who remember comics from a long time ago, baby Huey was this over, just oversized, ginormous baby. This baby church was ginormous. Uh, the building was about four times the size of our entire facility. Hundreds of people were there, and it was a good service. It lacks some of the charm I think we have of, of you know, of, of sound system issues and, and a pastor who's not as photogenic as the guy uh, on the screen that we watched. But I will guarantee you this, Oak Park is never going to have a preacher with a man bun. Can I get an Amen. Even Even if I break down and get hair club for men which is getting closer and closer the more I have to watch these videos. No man bun, ever. But anyway, or hair of any kind. Yeah, thanks a lot. 
But one of the great things about our area in Colorado Springs and so many others is that there are so many vibrant expressions of the church in local churches, smaller congregations doing the work of God, preaching the word of God, following the will of God, making the way of God open and accessible to those who need to find life with the Lord. As we begin this series, I wanted to focus on just some basics of what it means to be the church. Today's the church in the world. What does it mean to be the people of God living in this generation, in this time, in this world? What is God calling us to be? We're going to be looking at a whole other host of important pressing issues over the next few weeks that are facing the church and what it means to be the church. So let's get some of the basics down. What exactly is the church? The word church actually does not come from the Greek language, the Greek language which is what the New Testament was written in. Instead, we get the word church from the German language, German word Kirsha, which has its roots attached to a Greek word, Kyriakos, which means belonging to the Lord, or sometimes it's translated house of the Lord as well. That's what the church, in essence, means. In the English language, that's the root meaning of what the word truly means, belonging to the Lord. Now, the word used by Jesus in our text today, I will build my church. What is the word Jesus uses? Well, he spoke Aramaic, and I don't know what the Aramaic word is, but I do know what the Koine Greek word is, because that's the language the New Testament was written in. The Koine Greek word translated as church is the word ekklesia. And it was written in that language which was common at the time. And that's actually one of the the amazing things that God did for the world as he prepared the world for Jesus and the arrival of Jesus into the world. He sent Jesus into the world at a time when there was relative political peace and stability He sent Jesus into the world with one of the largest, most expansive empires in all of human history, the Roman Empire, encompassed most of the known world aside from the east at that point. Roads connected, economics connected, language connected people. And even though it was the Roman Empire, it was not Latin that connected people, it was the Greek language, Koine Greek, common Greek, that everybody spoke and did commerce in. And that is the word that forms this basis, the word ekklesia. That word simply means assembly. It is not a special God word. It is not a special word made up just for, uh, with religious intents or religious purposes. It just means assembly. It means to be gathered together. If you break the word down, it, it means a little bit something more specific, but it was used in generic terms. It was usually used for civic gatherings or political rallies or communal, when communities came together to hear a political announcement. That's the word Jesus uses. I will build my assembly. But if you dig a little bit deeper, assembly means a little bit, something a little bit deeper. The word ecclesia combines two words. The prefix ek, which means out of or from, and then kaleo, which means to call or to to call to assemble together. Therefore, the literal meaning is the called out ones. 
called together for a meeting. That's what the word church means. And when Jesus co-ops this word to describe his assembly, his people, oh, it fits so perfectly and it's so beautiful. When Jesus says, I will, I will build the community of my called out ones, it echoes to a deeper spiritual truth, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, speaking of what it means to be the church, the people of God. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who, what? Called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the called out ones. This is who we are as the church. Jesus uses two important qualifiers. What would distinguish or differentiate his assembly First off, he clarifies it. It is my assembly. I will build my church. The church belongs to Jesus. The church is centered on Jesus. The church is focused on Jesus. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is the epicenter. Jesus is the foundation to be be the foundation for everything in the church. That's the whole purpose of why the church exists is to be focused on Jesus. Therefore, when churches, congregations, religious entities, religious gatherings that are not focused on Jesus, they are not his assembly. They are not his church. They are worshiping some other God. They are worshiping some other idol. If they're not focused on Jesus, they are not part of his church. That's why we focus on Jesus a lot. That's the entire point. He clarifies it. My people, my called out ones, and I will build. Second, the assembly is built upon and united by the one singular truth that Jesus is the Messiah. When Peter says, you are the Messiah, the the Christ, and they they mean the same thing. Messiah is the Hebrew, Christ is the Greek, means anointed one. The son of the living God. That is the singular truth that unites the people of God, believing Jesus is the Messiah. And as the Messiah, he is the son of God. As the Messiah, he is our savior, the one who saves us from our sins. As Messiah, he is the one who is Lord over our lives. That's what it means to be the church, focused on Jesus, united by one singular common truth, that Jesus is the Christ. And here's what it comes down to. This is what we've got to be so clear on. The church is the people. The people who belong to God through declared faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. 
The church is the people of God, the chosen people, the holy nation, uh, people for God's own possession. The church is the people. Therefore, the church is not a building. Now, we are very grateful for the building we have. Most churches that do meet in places are very happy for the facilities they have. It makes life and ministry a lot easier. But the church is not a building. The church, large C, capitalized, is an entity of people united by the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, oriented around this truth about Jesus. Churches, little c, have meeting places. This has, this has afflicted pastors and theologians for years. The English language, we, we've just, it's so common in our language that we get up and say, oh, are you going to church in the morning? Or we're going to church today, right? What does that mean? We are going to a building. There is, there is no great alternative you know, because it's actually not, you're not going to church. The church is going to a building. The church is gathering. The church is meeting. There's really no other great way to say it. So I plead with you in this. As pastor, you have my permission to continue saying we are going to church and to continue to misuse the word, just like I do. You are absolved of any sin on that. But please, in, in your mind, in your mind, make sure you understand that the focus is not the building. It, it's we as the church, we gather together. We're the ones who come together. We're the ones who worship in a place, in a locale together, or even united online. But the church is not a building. You see, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to that one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. So even though churches have meeting spaces, the real church of the Lord Jesus Christ is united by something far beyond our places, our size, our names. The church is not a building, but the church is also not an event. It's the people, not the program. So when we go to church, we don't go to church to do church, right? We think of, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, I'm gonna go, go to church today. What are we going to do? Oh, we're going to do these certain things. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. We're going to fellowship. We're going to have great coffee. We're going to hear something from God's Word that hopefully is good and applicable as well. But the church is not just something we do. It's not just a platform. It's not just music. It's not just rituals. It's not routines. It's not programmatic. So a church is not an event. Once again, this is, this is getting to be more and more common in our language. You're seeing things or hearing things like, okay, we're going we're gonna to have some church now. It means, which means it's a euphemism for we're gonna, we're gonna praise or we're gonna sing. You know, you don't, you don't have church. You are the church. We, we don't do a little church. 
We are the church. It's the people. The people who belong to God through faith in Jesus. And the church is also not an organization. We joke about this because people always say, oh, I don't like organized religion. I'm like, oh, we'll come to Oak Park. We're disorganized religion. You'll fit right in. We joke about that. Lots of other churches do as well. But the church is not an organization. There is no one particular church with a name and with headquarters and with a defined polity and a defined doctrine that is the only one true church. It can't be headquartered in a, in a building. It can't just have a certain name on the sign that that's, that's the one church. God's people, the, the, the unity of the Holy Spirit that of the people who belong to God through faith in Jesus transcends all of that. And that's why we as a particular church, small c, we want to be focused on Jesus. We don't want to be caught up on names We don't want to be caught up on just a certain set parameter of of this organization and this way of, of being the people of God. We want to be focused on Jesus. We want to be grounded in the Word of God. That's our organizational structure. Now, I'm not knocking those who do have the, you know, the names and the organizations and the structures and the systems in place. But for the life of me, I don't think Jesus meant the church to be that complicated. But the church, the real people of God, those who are trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, those whose hearts are aligned in allegiance to him as Lord, I believe can be found in buildings and in organizations with all sorts of different names. Now, there are some organizations who have completely abandoned biblical grounding They have completely abandoned biblical revealed truth about who Jesus is and what salvation in Christ means. God will deal with them in in his time. But for people who are looking to the Lord and, and living their lives in obedience to Jesus, we can be united with them as the church. And we can be surprised and how God works in the lives of others. The church is the people who belong to God through faith in Jesus. There's some other descriptive terms in the Scriptures about what it means to be the church. The church is described as the body of Christ. Now, the real body of Christ lived 2,000 years ago. He lived a perfect life. He was arrested and he was tried, wrongly convicted. He was executed. He died a torturous death on the cross. His body was then buried. His body was then resurrected to glory as the Son of God. And he now sits at the right hand of God the Father, reigning and ruling. But as Jesus paid for our sins on the cross and as he conquered death in the resurrection and as he now reigns, we are the remaining, the remnant of his body to work in this world. We are the body of Christ so as to continue the work of Jesus in this world. 
Matthew 4, 23 says, Jesus came preaching the gospel and teaching the word and healing. That's kind of our mission statement, preach, teach, and heal. We continue the work and the ministry of Jesus In John chapter 14, Jesus told his followers that they would do even greater works than he did. Not more powerful since Jesus was all powerful in in healing in his scope of ministries, but greater in terms of expanse and in number and scope. And today, the people of Jesus are in every country, on every continent, in every strata of society, preaching. Teaching and healing hurts and heartache and hopelessness. The church is the body of Christ to do the work of Christ. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you are the body of Christ and each one of you has a part of it. That means there is no, there is no unnecessary part of the body of Christ. There is no one who is supposed to be just along for the ride or just to sit and enjoy the show. Every single person who believes in Jesus and belongs to God through that faith is a part of the body of Christ. And as a part of the body of Christ, they are then, they're mandated to continue to do the work of Jesus in the world. Preaching, teaching, and healing in all of its various forms. This does not mean somebody needs to, to have pastor after their name as some kind of a title. It doesn't mean they have to have a certain level of education in order to teach. It doesn't even mean they need to have the spiritual gift of healing. We, we bring healing when we, when we simply give hope, give assurance, when we care, compassion, love, kindness, gentleness, brings an immense amount of healing into the heartache of this world. We are to continue the ministry and the mission of Jesus. That's what it means to be the church. Scriptures also say that the church is a holy temple. Once again, it's not a building. It's not a place. It's not a structure. It's the people that God is building together. Living stones is also another uh, part of Scripture for that. Being built together into a temple. The Apostle Paul writes, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Another metaphor we'll get to in just a moment. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. My church, my assembly, my called out ones. Jesus, the chief cornerstone. In him, in Jesus The whole building, metaphorically, the whole church is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him too, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirits. That's the church, the people indwelt and united by the Spirit of God through common faith in Jesus. And yes, we are God's family. We are God's household. Through faith, we're adopted as His children. And therefore, we are united to one another as brothers and sisters. This household language is so powerful. 
Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You see, church is not just a place where you go. It's not just a thing you do. It's not just an organization you join. It is a group. It is an entity. It is a living and breathing community of those infused by the Holy Spirit centered around Jesus. And this bond is greater and deeper and more powerful than anything else in this world that can unite us. So that's what the church is. But what does it mean to be the church in the world? The church has a mission. The people of God have a purpose in this world. One of the other analogies is that the the church is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is simply those who live under the rule of God, the, the rule of Jesus as Lord. What it means to be the church in the world, it means the kingdom of God is infiltrating the kingdoms of this world. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. We are to be in this world, but we are not of the world. As God's people, we are behind enemy lines, but our warfare is not waged in the way of the world. John, the last living apostle of Jesus, wrote this very close to the end of his life. We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The world is is not the earth. The world is just the world systems, societies, structures. It's, It's the way of the world. All of that is controlled by the evil one. It's under his influence. But in the midst of that, the people of God live and breathe and dwell and influence. We're infiltrating behind enemy lines. Even though the whole world is under the control of the evil, evil one, we all know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know who, him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That's powerful the more you dig into that. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. But you know what? It's not fair odds. Because Jesus is the true God. Satan is the false God. And yes, there is, there is immense darkness. There is immense depravity in our society and in all societies. But in the darkness, the light shines the brightest. And we know that he is the true God. We has, he has come, he has given us understanding to counter Satan's lies with his truth. As Satan does control things, being in control in some scope over this world, the lies are abundant. In every generation, in every society, every age has had to deal with the lies of Satan in different ways, We are facing currently a very particular assault on things that are trying to twist the truth of God, the the, the intrinsic nature that God has created us with in terms of our society. We're facing an onslaught 
But it is an onslaught, and I'm talking about you know, some of the, the gender ideologies right now that are just purely demonic lies and demonic delusions. Born in the wrong body, when the scriptures say you are fearfully and wonderfully made, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God does not make mistakes. Who, who makes mistakes and who twists and distorts truth? Satan, the adversary. And there's so much more that money equals success and happiness, that pleasure and sexual expression, sexual identity is the end-all, be-all of existence. There's just so many lies, and we are to confront those lies with truth. In the beginning, God made them male and female as one truth. The way to find your life is to lose it. That's what Jesus taught. The way to find the greatest fulfillment in life is to actually die to yourself because the more you pursue yourself and what you want, the more empty you're going to be, the more hurt and broken and dissatisfied you're going to be because the heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. It only pursues our self-destruction, but Jesus gives life. We've got to counter Satan's lies with truth. It means we personally and publicly implement God's will on earth as it is done in heaven. That's what it means to infiltrate the kingdoms of this world. It doesn't matter that which is, that which is culturally um, you know, uh, common or accepted at the time. We live by God's rules, God's standards. Not perfectly, of course. But we are to implement God's will on earth regardless of what the culture, the spirit of the age says, because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. Biblical reference. For us, Jesus is Lord. The president is not. Politics is not. Political parties are not. Ideologies are not. Economics are not Lord. Jesus is Lord. The kingdom of God, the church, infiltrates the kingdoms of this world to be the people of God, to still be among those who are still living in darkness. And we are called out of darkness into light in order to be light in the darkness. Let your light shine before others, Jesus said, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Good works will never go out of style. And good works are just simply things of care and compassion, humility, help, encouragement, sacrifice, generosity, graciousness. Helping others, taking care of others, being kind to others is light in darkness in this day and age. It's about lifestyle. The Apostle Paul writes about it. Now that we are children of the light, live as children of light, no longer involved in the fruitless deeds of darkness, but, but instead live as children of light, the light of God's word, the light of God's truth, the light of God's morality, God's will, God's ways. Everything that's been revealed to us. 
It's okay to look and live differently than those around us who still are caught up in darkness and the ways of the world. And one of the best ways to be light in darkness is to be exuberantly hopeful. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. Amen. The world's been going to hell in a handbasket since the Garden of Eden. There is nothing unique about our time in, in, in this world and in our culture but exuberant hope because Jesus is Lord. He's still on the throne. We're on the side that wins. No matter how much this world is controlled by the evil one, no matter how much darkness there is, we win. He's defeated. He loses. Exuberant hope. Not just that, man, we're going to escape all this mess and we get to go to heaven. Hallelujah. Wish it was tomorrow. But exuberant hope that God is with us, that God loves us, that God forgives us, that God still has a plan and a purpose for us, that our life has cosmic and eternal significance because Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead and because we believe in that, all of human history is in the process of being changed. Exuberant hope that God will make a way when there seems to be no way exuberant hope that no matter how dark the night the dawning of the sun will come and it's not just S-U-N it's S-O-N exuberant hope that's what it means to be the church the earliest church the very first Christians you know centuries ago they, they never focused on oh my gosh look what the world is coming to they always focused on, look who has come into the world. That's Jesus. That's why we focus on Jesus. And as we focus on Jesus, we preach life over death. And it's not just pastors who preach. We all preach. Preaching is the task of everybody. As we speak, as we live, as we exemplify life in Christ. We preach life over death. We preach light conquering darkness. And we preach love above all. Jesus, Jesus' last command, his new commandment he gave to his disciples is love one another as I have loved you. By this shall all men, by this shall the world know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's what it means to be the church in the world. The church, the people of God, united by the Spirit of God because of shared faith in Jesus. We are brothers and sisters. And as we love one another, that love is then to, be, to, to, to spill out, to go into the world, to infiltrate so much lovelessness in the world. Brothers and sisters, that's what we're called to. We are called to be the church so let's be the church. It's time for the church to worship through singing and to have communion together. So Tay and the team can come back up on stage. As we prepare for a time of communion, as we have communion every Sunday, we see it as a centerpiece of what it means for Christians to gather together as the church to worship. In communion, we take bread and we take juice, nicely sanitarily packed in these little convenient things post-COVID. We take bread and we take juice because it reminds us of what Jesus did for us 
the saving act that unites all of us, the saving act that empowers all of us. The bread represents his body that took our sin. The juice represents his blood that paid for our sin. And it also represents the body and the blood of Jesus that was reunited in the resurrection as he was returned to life, forever defeating death, forever reigning as Lord. That's what we celebrate, and that's what we center on. Would you please stand?